Hey, it is time for Kids Church, so fifth grade and under, you guys are dismissed. Hey, thanks for being here for church this morning. It's, as Mike said, it's Christmas Sunday, and we're really glad that you're here. If you're watching online uh, through Facebook, thanks for joining us as well on that as well. And uh, I'm just really excited for Christmas. Anybody else excited for Christmas? Like, it's like, Riley, like, your hand, like, you must be getting something good this year. Like, your hand went right up. Like, you've had your wish list for a while, and, like, you gave that to Mom, and Mom's like, maybe. <laughs> like, Riley, I don't know if y'all saw Riley's hand, but, I mean, I said, who's excited for Christmas? She was like, like, like that kid in the classroom was like, pick me, pick me. That, that was Riley a minute ago. Uh, hey, but how many of you don't think it feels like Christmas yet? Anybody? Yeah, that's, there's a few. If, if you don't think it feels like Christmas yet, like go drive through the park tonight. Maybe, maybe that'll help put you in the Christmas spirit. It's, it's beautiful. We've been a couple of times already because I'm one of those people that says it doesn't feel like Christmas yet. So we'll probably make another trip or two through the park this week. Hey, we've been in a series for the last couple of weeks called Hope for the Holidays, and it's our Christmas series. And uh, the first two weeks we've talked about the need. We went back to the very beginning of Scripture, back to Genesis, and we saw that why, why there was a need for Christmas. Last week we talked about the promise, and that's the, the hope that, that there was a, a hope that was coming, that Christmas is about not just hope uh, in the future, but hope for now. And then today we're going to talk about the announcement. And I just want to tell you, it was by far the most important ever, ever event that happened. And it was accompanied by the most important song ever that contained the most important announcement ever. So I want you to think with me for, for a, a few minutes about this very familiar phrase. We find it in, in a one-sentence hymn that, that's found in Luke chapter 2, verse 14. So if you've got a Bible, you can flip over there, Luke 2, 14. And it's this phrase right here. It says, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom He is pleased. A few years ago, I, I was doing some last-minute Christmas shopping. I say a few years ago like I haven't been doing last-minute Christmas shopping this year, too. But I was doing some last-minute Christmas shopping, and, and evidently uh, every other man in Hardin County was, too, because the, the E-Town Mall was just packed. And it's, and it's all these men in the stores, right? Like, there, there's not a woman to be found in these stores except for the women that are working the counters. It's all these men, and we're just, we're just running through the mall, going from different store to different store, trying to, to find out find the gifts that we, we need to get. And over the, the PA, they're, they're playing some Christmas music, and, in, and just in the background, and in the background I hear these words, glory to God and the highest. And I thought, wow, what irony, right? I mean, it was just kind of irony. The irony of the moment just kind of hit me. Here we all, we're all racing, we're all pushing, we're all, we're all trying to get for the most part, useless material possessions that, that are going to make Christmas morning somehow not really any more special, but we think it's going to. And, and just, I was struck by the irony of it all. That how, how many people have no clue whatsoever what those words mean? Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom He is pleased. I, I wonder if we do. I wonder if, if we do because there's something about familiarity that just makes our, our brains kind of go into to just this numbness, I guess. So it puts our brains and our hearts into sort of a, a mental, spiritual monotone. We just quit thinking and we quit hearing and we quit questioning and we quit considering. I'm persuaded that these words, the, the deep, expansive contents of the words of this little hymn are often misunderstood. Yes, yes, this is a hymn of celebration, no doubt. It's a celebration of a baby's birth, the Messiah, the, the Christ child. 
But these words also, in a very clear way, define your need and my need. And in defining our need, it defines the mission of this baby that would be born. This baby that's born in a manger. And if they define our need and it defines our mission, then hear what I'm about to say about this. That these words not only announce the birth of a child, they also predict a death. They also predict a death. These words really do capture our need, uh, our, our greatest needs, glory and peace. Those are the two principal words of this little hymn. Glory to God in the highest and on, peace, and on earth peace among those with whom he's pleased. Now, I don't know if you've ever noticed this about yourself. Maybe you have, maybe you haven't, but think about it for a moment. You are glory-focused. Think about this. You are glory-focused. You are glory-attentive. You're glory-seeking. You're a bit glory-obsessed. And you think, I don't think that's true. But everything, everything, everything that you do in your life, everything that you say, every choice that you make, every reaction that you have in your relationship is done in, some, done in pursuit of some kind of glory. And you say, I don't think that's true. Again, well, let's just take the biblical tour. You were created to live with the glory of God in view. That's what you were created for. That's how you were created. You were created to live with the glory of God in your view. You were created so that the principal motivation in your life for everything that you would do would be that God would be praised. That's what you were created for. That God would be pleased. You were created to live in the most practical sense of what these words mean. A, a Godward existence, an upward-focused uh, existence. That you could really argue that the, that the reason that you do anything that you do would be God. Somebody could ask you, hey, why are you doing that? And you would just say God. And it wouldn't be the Sunday school answer. That would be the principal motivation. That would be the real reason why you were doing it. That's what you were created for. We know that creation was designed to remind us uh, to, to point a finger toward God. That everything that was created was meant to remind us of the person and the character and the plan of God. That we would be reminded again and again, everywhere we look, that God is and God must be the center of our existence. That's what creation was designed for. Whether, whether it's the frigid cold and, and the snow that you don't want to face yet, the beautiful song of a bird, the shocking bright colors of fall leaves, the scary storm, the, the touch of another human being's hand. The tone in their voice, the brightness of the morning, the darkness of the night. All of those things, all of those things are all glories. They're, they're shadow glories that are meant to reflect the one glory that's truly glorious. The glory of God. That's the way it was all meant to happen. But, but in a very sad moment of disobedience and rebellion, way back in the Garden of Eden, at the you know, in the very first chapters of Scripture... Adam and Eve, they chose rather, to, rather than to live for the glory of creation, or the creator, uh, of the creator, they chose to live for the glory of creation. They, they wanted to, to live for their own glory instead of the glory of God. They, they wanted something in creation more than they wanted God. And as a result, ever since that horrible moment, there, have, there has been in all of our hearts... A, a glory confusion and a glory war that's taking place. We don't always live for the glory of God, do we? There are, there are other glories that often compete for glory for, in, in our heart for the one true glory. You were sitting in traffic this week. Anybody sit in traffic this week? I guarantee you did not think your first thought was, this is for the glory of God. Right? You didn't think that, did you? And you know how I know that? Because I was sitting in traffic this week and I didn't think it either. But it's a, it's a reminder, a somber reminder that God is in control. Thank God, right, that he's in control, that I'm not. I don't think that's 
That's what we often think when we find ourselves in moments like that. Yet we forget God's glory and we live for other glories. In fact, you could argue that every sin has at its root an exchange of God's glory for some glory in creation. That every sin, at, at the root cause of every sin, is an exchange of glory. It's, it's, it's the glory of something in creation rather than God's glory. Think about lust. What, what is lust about? Lust would exchange the glory of God for the glory of momentary pleasure. Materialism, it replaces the glory of God with, with the possession of physical things. Pride chooses to live for more self-glory than, than the glory of God. We're all glory-confused, and in some ways you could even say that we are glory thieves. And if you reflect on your, on your week this week, just take a moment and think about your week. You probably wouldn't be able to say in every way possible that I have lived for the glory of God. I have lived with, with the glory of God in view this week. You probably couldn't say that. Because there are times when, when other shadow glories become more precious to you. You convince yourself that, that you can't live without them and your life is more, more dictated by the worship of, of the created than the creator. And listen, that never leads to hearts at rest. Ever. It never leads to hearts at rest. It never leads to inner peace. It never leads to satisfaction because the, those shadow glories, they cannot fill, fulfill your heart. They just weren't created to. They weren't meant to. They were never supposed to. They weren't designed to do that. You, you can't turn the created world into your own personal Messiah. It's never going to work that way. You're never going to be satisfied. You will always have a glory problem. And all of us still yet in the midst of a glory war, we all have these moments of glory confusion. We all have times where we want the creation more than we want the creator. But these words, glory to God and the highest. Imagine what the world would be, be like. Just think for a moment what the world would be like if every person lived that way. Glory to God and the highest. Hey, let's forget about the world. Let's just think if everybody in the church lived that way, right? If everybody in the church lived with, with that mindset, glory to God and the highest, what would the world look like? What, what would it look like? Where, what would a, heart, a world that, that was filled with people's hearts saying glory to God in the highest, what would that look like where every human being was being ruled by the glory of God? E even so, Lord, come quickly, right? That should be our prayer. Even so, Lord, come quickly. Because, you see, we're not talking here first about a spiritual thing or about a religious thing. We're, we're, we're not. I know it might seem that way, but we're not. This is the way that God designed all human beings to live. We were all designed to live with, with glory to God in the highest as the chief motivation of our hearts. We, we were called that way. We were created to live for the glory of God. That's humanness. That was the creation plan. And then in, in a moment of self-glory and rebellion, it was shattered. And all of us live in the middle of a glory war and glory confu confusion as a result. The, the second word of, of, of this phrase that, that I want you to pay attention to, we talk, talk about glory... The second one is peace. Peace among those with whom he's well pleased. You and I, we were created for peace with God. We were created so that the most important thing in our life would be a relationship with the Father. We were created to ha have the high honor of being the worshipful, obedient friends of God. That friendship, that friendship with God, it would be the most meaningful reality of our lives. And that peace with God would allow us to have peace within. It would allow us to, to, not, to not wrestle with certain things. It would allow us to, to be just peaceful. Any of you not had peaceful nights lately? You, know, you just kind of been, you wrestling with something and you're just tossing and turning and you just can't seem to find that peace within? 
peace with God was meant to give us peace within. And we, we would have that peace not because we're strong, not because we're wise, not because we know what's happening next, but because we have this relationship with the one true God who, who rules it all and he guides us by his hand. We don't have to know what ha- is going to happen tomorrow because we know who does know what's going to happen tomorrow, right? That, that should give us peace. That should give us great comfort. We don't have to worry about those things. And it would all happen because of our relationship with God. And when that peace with God is shattered, then the result is our hearts are not at rest. We're not peaceful or peaceable people. There's a horrible moment in the Garden of of Eden where God comes down in the cool of the day to commune with Adam and Eve. That was a thing in, in the very beginning of creation. After God has created all of the world and He's created Adam and Eve, He would come and He would walk with them in the Garden of Eden. How cool would that be? That like you would just have God come down and walk and talk with you and just take a stroll through, through this nice lush garden. And yet one day when he comes down to, to walk with them, Adam and Eve are not running out to meet him. They're not excited to see him, not in the least. They're hiding in guilt and fear because they've been disobedient and that peace with God has been shattered. There's a word in the Old Testament that kind of captures this idea of peace that I, that I really love. It's, it's the word shalom. And it, it pictures something more fundamental than just the absence of conflict. That's what we think about peace, right, is just the absence of war, the absence of conflict. But, but it, this word shalom, it pictures that all things are in their proper order. They're all working the way that they were designed to work. There is peace with God. And if there's peace with God, if I have peace with God, that means I have peace inside. But I don't always have that. All of us have the, the experience of anxiety. Sometimes the anxiety that we, we just can't escape or anger or frustration. How many of you were angry this week as you were sitting in traffic, right? You didn't have that peace with God in that moment. There's depression and discouragement. There's hopelessness. Our hearts struggle to find rest. But in that, God is calling us to peace with Him. And when he gives us peace, when we have peace with God, when we have reconciled, when everything is working in their proper order, when we are living the way that we were designed to live, the way we were created, not only do we have peace with God, but we have peace within. And if we were created to have peace with God and peace within, then we were also created to have peace with others. You see, when when I don't have peace with God and I don't have peace with inside of myself, it makes it very hard for me to live at peace with other people. It makes it very hard for me to, to not have a life that's marked by conflict. I don't think anyone in this room has lived a conflict-free life since, you know, in this year, right? Since, since the beginning of 2021, you've probably had some sort of conflict. We can go back 2020, right? There, there's been conflict. Our world is marked by conflict. Everywhere you look, there's some sort of conflict. There, there's conflict on, on the national world, there's, on the scale. There's conflict on the global scale. There's conflict in a, in a local scale. Heck, there is conflict in, in a family scale, right? You have conflict in your homes, right? We all are marked by conflict. I guarantee that none of us have, have been free of conflict or, or impatience or irritation all of us, have our lives have been marked by that, maybe even this week, maybe even this morning. Right? Don't raise your hand, especially if you've got kids. Right? It's amazing that all of us around, that all around us is this unrest that, that leads to conflict. We, but, but we can have a peace. See, we have a peace problem. 
Brokenness with God leads to brokenness within, and that leads to brokenness all around us, in, in the communities all around us. And, and this song that the angels sing, it really does capture the great human dilemma. We are glory thieves, shalom shattered. It is, a defining, it is defining our need. It's really a defining moment in all of the world. That This little hymn really points, to, really points us to the mission of the Messiah. Listen, you know this. This is not anything new to you, especially if you've been in the church for a long time. This is not anything new. Jesus didn't first come on a political mission, right? He didn't come to establish an earthly kingdom. He didn't come on an educational mission to just correct our worldview. He didn't come on a psychological mission just to make sure that we felt okay, that we were happy on the inside. He didn't do that, right? He he didn't come on a religious mission just to make sure that we did external religious appropriate things. No, his mission was much more than that. It was much more radical than that. It was much more fundamental than that. And if you don't understand that, then you'll never understand him or his mission. Look, if, if I have a glory problem, and if you have a glory problem, and if I have a peace problem, and you have a peace problem, then what I really have and what you really have is a heart problem. It's a heart problem. My problem isn't so much my relationships. My problem isn't so much my situation. My, my problem is that there's something broken in my heart. David gets it right when he prays, Create in me, O God, a clean heart. That, that's what we need. A, a radical, personal, long-term heart change. A, a heart transplant, so to speak, because that's our problem. The prophecies of the coming Christ are very clear that he's coming to address that problem. In one prophecy it says, I will give them a new heart. I will take that heart out of stone, out of them, and I will replace it with a heart of flesh. That's, what Jesus, that's what's being predicted. He's predicting a heart transplant that would take place. That his work and this stony heart that would be resistant to change, it would come alive. And it would come alive by God's work and it would be able to change. And that the people who once lived for their own glory would now live by his grace in his glory. Not just in religious matters, okay? Not just in church things, but in in everyday life. In every situation, their words and their thoughts, their actions, their relationships, their desires would live for the glory of God. That's what we were meant to live. That's how we were meant to live. Where, where the rubber meets the road in everyday life, that there would be something that would motivate me, that would be bigger than what I want in the moment, that would be bigger than what I think I need, it would be bigger than the pleasure of any one moment. That I would really have a heart that has been captivated by the glory of God. That, that's the mission of Jesus. That's what Jesus came to do. That's why we celebrate a baby born in a manger. That we would be brought quite apart from from what what we are and what we want to be and what we're able to do. And we would be brought by grace into peace with God. Listen, it's not okay. It's not okay that, that masses and masses of human beings do not live in peace with God. That's not okay. It is not okay that people who walk the streets of our communities live apart from peace with God. It's not okay that masses of people in the United States couldn't care less about peace with God. That's not okay. It's not okay that in nations around the world, masses of people live with no knowledge of what it means to live in peace with God. That's not okay. It's not okay. It's not okay at all. And for far too long, the church has become okay with it being not okay. We have to be not okay with that. Listen, as you walk the streets and you realize that most people don't understand this, it ought to break our hearts. It ought to cause us to weep. It ought to cause us to to mourn because we cannot be comfortable with this. 
Because if, we're, if, it, if it's okay, if it were okay for us to live in a broken relationship with God, there would have been no need for Jesus to come. There would have been no need for Jesus to come to this world if it was okay for us to live in a broken relationship with God. If it were okay for us to not live for the glory of God. If it were okay for us to not have peace with God. What a tragedy. What an absolute tragedy that I would wake up my, and my whole life would be lived for some teeny little glories that would never satisfy me. What a tragedy that I wouldn't care about peace with God. Those things are not okay. And so Jesus came because my only hope would be his grace. I can't escape my heart. We talked about this last week. I, I, I can move to another location. I can, I can get out of a relationship. But the one thing that I can't escape is the condition of my heart. My problem is me. Your problem is you. And so a Lord and Savior has to come. And you hear the word Savior and you know what you're hearing? You don't, you don't need a Savior unless you're, able to, to, unless you're unable to help yourself. right? If, 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 if you can help yourself, then you don't need a Savior. You just save yourself, right? But if, if we need a Savior, that means we are unable to help ourselves. So, so that word Savior, it tells you that you need to be rescued. Uh, These words really do define our need. They define Christ's mission, glory, and peace. And what they're telling us is that we need a heart transplant, that we need to be rescued. But there's another thing that they do as well. They define for us the price of his mission. And it's really captured in that last phrase of that verse, of this hymn. Peace among those with whom he is pleased. Peace with, uh, among those with whom he's well pleased. It might be translated better, peace on whom his favor is placed. Or, or maybe even better yet, peace to those whom his grace is given. You see, the only hope of peace is grace. And the vehicle of grace is death. The only hope for, for, for peace is grace. And the only way that we get that grace is through death. You see, that stolen glory, that shattered peace, it left us all guilty. Because rather than living for God, we sought to be God. Rather than honoring the Creator, we have worshipped the creation. And the sentence for that, the penalty for that, is death. You do not understand that baby in the manger unless you understand that that baby came to be a sacrifice. That he came to be a lamb. See, here's the plan that he would come and from day one all of his thoughts and all of his desires and all of his actions and all of his responses and all of his his reactions, they would be fully and completely and perfectly lived to the glory of God. He would live the life that we could not live and on our behalf he would live for the glory of God. He would live in a way that that we just could not ever, ever do. And on that cross he would bear our penalty and he would face the rejection of his father so that we could know the Father, so that we could know acceptance and peace with the Father. An upward peace that would create inward peace, that, that would give us the ability to have outward peace. That was the plan. And he came willingly. And he came knowledgeable. He knew, you know, Jesus wasn't born without this knowledge of what, what his life was about. He came and he knew what the price would be, that he would have to die so that we might live. So that raised out of human beings who who live for their own glory, raised out of human beings who who don't care about peace with God, would would be a company of people who are are growingly and are captivated by the glory of God, who who love the fact that they have peace with God, who, who are able to stand in the presence of God because of that peace with God. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace with whom he's pleased. Amen? And if I've been talking this morning and you've been thinking personally, if 
you know, for a moment and you've been reflecting on, on your, your week, um, maybe the last couple of weeks, and you recognize that, you know, that you and I, we still have a glory problem. That we don't always get glory right. That you recognize that we have a peace problem, that we don't always care about peace with God and we don't always have peace within and because of that, we don't always have peace outwardly. And that speaks to you, and, and so as, as we've been talking, maybe the, the work of grace is needed in your life this morning. And I just want you all to know that, that we need that work of grace. It's as needed this morning right now as it's ever been in the world. It's as needed as much today as it was 2,000 years ago when Jesus was born. The angels announce your hope. The angels announce your redemption. The angels announce to you grace. Grace of a life lived. Grace of a death offered so that you may live for His glory And you might experience it in all ways possible. His peace. Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace to those whom His favor rests.